Well, how do you feel about death? That's the question we're addressing today. For some people, uh, it's not a big deal. Uh, They have strong faith. They know Jesus will look after them. If you read some of the early martyrs and what they wrote uh, the day before they were going to their execution, uh, they looked forward to it. They wrote things like, bring it on. If this will glorify Jesus, uh, bring it on, Lord. I'm here for you. Some people have faith like that. Some people, on the other hand, might say they're not afraid of death, but underneath they really are. There's a lot of denial out there about death, and that can also be the case in the church. We put on a brave face because we think that is the faith response. But underneath, we have our apprehensions. I remember when I was in my 20s saying to God, well, if you want me to die, young Lord, I'm ready to go. I had a lively faith in Christ. I didn't have a lot of attachments to this world, either financial or possessions-wise. I was just a poor student. I didn't have a wife and children, so dependent-wise, there was nothing there. So I thought, if it's God's will for me to die young, well, please let it happen now, Lord, before all that comes along. (laughs) Save all that grief. But I have to say now, at this stage of my life, I do feel a much greater sense of attachment to this world. I have a beautiful wife, three children with their spouses, seven grandchildren. I love my family. I've grown to like the beauty of this creation and the pleasures it can bring. Kayaking with Linda in the beautiful Noosa waterways is a lot of fun. And to be honest, death seems a bit of an interruption. So I have to regularly ask Jesus to renew my first love, for me to be ready to meet him face to face, whatever the time of his choosing might be, to deny myself, take up the cross, to be a servant to all, whatever time he gives me on this earth. That's the challenge. So what is your attitude to death? How has that varied over the years? What difference does faith in Christ make as you think about your death? This morning we come uh, to this most marvellous of passages, John chapter 11. And as I was preparing this sermon and reading through chapter 11 a few few times, uh, I just couldn't help but go, wow, wow, wow. Uh, And I hope this passage hasn't become so familiar to you that you lost that sense of wow. Jesus has power over death. Wow. But also, did you sense the humanity, the humour, the sacred holiness of Jesus' encounter with Mary, Martha and Lazarus in this story? They'd found the one, hadn't they? the one described by Martha as the Son of God, the Messiah. There are so many wows throughout this story. Let's explore just some of them. Firstly, I want you to look at the strange way in which John introduces this story. It's a tragic story of someone dying, yet he begins it with an amazing humorous touch. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. 
So what is Jesus' response? Well, look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Uh, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. (laughs) He delayed two days. Why? Well, so that Lazarus would die. You call that love? He had the power to heal. If you had the power to heal, wouldn't you get to your sick friend as soon as you possibly could? But it says Jesus deliberately delayed two days. How is that love? We could read the text very seriously and be very critical of Jesus. But we read it with a smile on our faces, don't we? And why is that? Because we know the end of the story. Because we know who Jesus is. We know he's not just a great healer. We know he is the resurrection and the life. And so this is a lovely little twist at the beginning that, uh, that John builds into the story to reveal to us Jesus' delay. Jesus wants to show Mary and Martha uh, and all the friends that gather around them that he is the resurrection and the life. And so he delays. It wasn't that he was too busy or he got distracted or he simply forgot. He deliberately delays. And verse 4 there spells out so powerfully the reason. It says, when Jesus heard the news of Lazarus, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus wanted Mary and Martha to see the glory of God like they'd never seen it before. He wanted them to see the Son of God has power over this last great enemy, death. Well, from this comic beginning, the story moves to a more sombre place. After the delay of two days, Jesus does set out for Judea. He tells his disciples, we're now going back to Judea, to the home of Mary, Martha and Lazarus. The disciples object. They remind Jesus that this is where the Jews tried to stone him. And he wants to go back there. Jesus explains to the disciples that Lazarus has indeed died. But he still wants to visit because he wants them to see the glory of God like they've never seen it before. Yes, it is dangerous to go back there. But that's why Jesus came, to go to Jerusalem and to go to the cross. In verse 16, uh, there's a lovely little piece there about Thomas who sticks his neck out. And he says this, he says, Let us also go that we may die with him. What a lovely attitude to death. You notice that with Thomas, even Thomas. Thomas, he's saying, as long as I'm with Jesus... I'm ready to die. It's a lovely place to be. Thomas is loyal, dogged, sometimes slow to understand, but determined to go on putting one foot in front of another and following Jesus, even into death. At the end of our passage, we come to see that the disciples had every right to be afraid. Uh, After the raising of Lazarus, uh, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin plot to bring Jesus down. The dark clouds of the cross are gathering. We're moving uh, slowly towards the cross through this Lenten season as our readings approach Easter. And so here's another sign, another miracle that upsets the authorities and brings the cross even closer. 
So the disciples set off with Jesus, travelling south to Judea uh, to come to the home of Mary and Martha in Bethany, which we're told is only two miles from Jerusalem, enemy territory. Lazarus has been dead for four days. A lot of mourning has already been done. A lot of family and friends must have changed their plans in order to go and visit Mary and Martha and be there to comfort them. Did you notice the differing response of Mary and Martha? Uh, Very much along the lines of what we know of these two biblical characters in other passages. Uh, We read that Mary is the introvert who stays at home in quiet contemplation. Martha is the active busy one who runs out to meet Jesus. But Martha is not just the practical one. She is also the theological one. Look at verse 24. We find there she's well grounded in the Jewish belief about resurrection. She says, I know Lazarus, Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She also has the spiritual perception to recognize Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. She knows Jesus is the one. All there in verse 27. So Martha believes this Messiah has the power to heal, but she doesn't understand the power to resurrect yet look at verse 21 the first thing she says to jesus when he arrives is if you'd been here my brother would not have died and mary says the same in verse 32 when she meets jesus she says lord if you'd been here my brother would not have died exactly the same words both martha and mary understand jesus is a healing messiah but they're about to see an even greater miracle than that Jesus moves towards the tomb. Verse 33, there's much grief. Mary is weeping. The crowd are weeping. And then in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus weeps as well. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, yet its brevity gives it its impact, doesn't it? Jesus wept. At the start of the chapter, it may have seemed like uh, Jesus was playing some sort of callous game. But no, Jesus feels deeply the grief of all those who knew Lazarus. And he is present there weeping with them. Some commentators see Jesus' tears as simply a pointer to his humanity. A flesh and blood man showing sympathy with a bereaved family. But surely there's so much more than that. Here is the Son of God weeping, appointed to the divine sorrow. Here we see the God of the universe drawing alongside broken, grieving people and empathising with them in their grief. But, of course, we're about to see so much more as well, aren't we? Jesus moves to the entrance of the tomb and asks for the stone to be removed. There's the practical concern about the smell. But Jesus' focus is the glory of God, verse 40. The glory of God. He prays to his heavenly father. He is concerned not just for Lazarus, but everyone uh, present that they might come to believe that the father has sent him and that he indeed is the son of God. And so in verse 43, he calls out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And that really is the high point of the story, isn't it? This is the wow to end all wows. (laughs) Your friend actually coming out of that grave. 
Tom Wright expresses it very vividly, I think, when he says this. He says, the dead man comes out. A heart-stopping moment of shuddering horror and overwhelming joy mixed together like dark mud and liquid gold. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? It's a heart-stopping moment of shuddering horror and overwhelming joy mixed together like dark mud and liquid gold. Jesus assured his disciples that they would see the glory of God, didn't he? Way back there at the beginning uh, when he told them this won't end in death. No, so the Son of Man will be glorified. And now they are there tasting the glory as Lazarus is raised. The message is beautifully and magnificently summed up in verse 25. Jesus' words to Martha, the ones we often hear at funerals. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And the power of those words is seen when Jesus himself walks out of that tomb alive, when his tomb is empty three days after the crucifixion. And so we live in this post-resurrection of Christ era where we have an account in John 20, just a few chapters on, of that empty tomb. We have an account in each of the three Gospels of Jesus walking through death, never to die again. We have the whole of the New Testament testifying to the uh, risen Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit today, confirming it in our hearts, the encouragement of the body of Christ, his risen body, where the church, his body on earth today. And all of these witnesses testify to the truth of Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This last week we've uh, celebrated the funeral of Barry Ladwig, a much-loved parishioner here at Taunton. And what a wonderful service we had on Tuesday morning a service which lifted high the resurrected Christ. In that service, we read from John 20, the story of the empty tomb. The body of Christ gathered and worshipped the risen Christ with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. We encouraged and supported the family and one another. There is nothing like a Christian funeral and what a contrast to so many other funerals I've been to where there is no hope and grief is bitter. And it's all because of Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. In the end, resurrection, you see, is not just a doctrine, it's a person. It is the person of Jesus standing in front of Martha and teasing her to take that leap of faith. Teasing her to not just believe in some general wishy-washy idea of life after death, but to believe that life is totally tied up in Jesus Christ as the one the one who is Messiah, the Son of God, come into the world. So, my friends, what is your current thinking about death? How has that developed over the years? How has your Christian faith informed that? This morning, I simply want you to embrace the same faith that Mary and Martha came to on that momentous day, to embrace Jesus, who is indeed the resurrection and the life. Amen.